0: Good to be able to share with you this morning around the word of God and to be able to meet together in his name and think about how we might live faithfully as his people. Uh, as I looked at this passage this morning, it seemed to me uh, I have permission to be both clear and incomprehensible at the same time. Uh, clear because it's saying some things to us which we actually can understand, uh, incomprehensible because of the truths to which they point to, uh, we won't fully understand until the last day when Jesus returns. So you need to be okay with that, that I'm going to be clear and incomprehensible at the same time as we look at this passage. Um, the, the simple message is that Jesus is returning, okay? the incomprehensible message is that it is hard to imagine what it would be like when he comes and restores all things as God intends. The crux of the passage is verse 17, the last verse that you just heard read of chapter 7. This is your memory verse if you're looking for one to shape your future. If you're looking for things ahead, then this is the verse that you could spend time remembering, reflecting and reciting. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd, He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The verses that lead up to it are explaining that. So you might have noted that as you go down the column here, between verse 9 and verse 12 loosely, you have the picture of the lamb at the centre of the throne being their shepherd. And then in verses 13 through to 16, you have how God is actually going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the writer gets to this conclusion at verse 17 and he spends the time explaining how he got to that conclusion in the verses lead up to it. There are two words that come to mind as I think about this in the, in the first part of, that, um, of the chapter between verses 9 and verse 12. The word that comes to mind is praise. In verses uh, 13 through 16, before we get to verse 17, the word is protection. So God offers a picture of praise and protection as we think about the Lord Jesus at the centre of the throne. Verse 17 is both clear and incomprehensible. It does both those things for us. It's clear because we know who the Lamb is. Uh, We know he's ruling on his throne according to this chapter. He is the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus. He's called the Shepherd uh, if we think back through how the Bible speaks about Jesus in His shepherding role, we might begin at John 10, where He's the in His earthly ministry, He's the Good Shepherd, not like the corrupt shepherds before Him. Uh, in His heavenly ministry, He's called the Great Shepherd. We came across that last week in Hebrews 13, equipping the church for good works, and at His at His return, He'll be called the Chief Shepherd. One Peter 5 where he brings his reward to those who faithfully followed him, especially the shepherds who have carried out their task. The good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd. And here is the shepherd on his throne. But at another level, Revelation 7.17, if that's clear, is incomprehensible, because if you're like me, We find it hard to imagine a life without tears. A life without disappointment. A life without frustration. A life without abuse. A life without abandonment. A life without loneliness. A life without despair. All of those things that bring tears to our eyes. And so there's a level at which it's hard to comprehend what's being promised here because we find it hard to recognise how every tear could be wiped from our eyes. A life without purses and hankies and hospitals. What would that life be like? We live in this world now of Genesis 3, the curse of sin, a fallen and frail world. And Revelation 7 inserts a vision of comfort and courage and confidence so you won't lose sight of what is to come when you're stuck in the tearful reality of life that is today there's a picture of praise verse 10 again verse 12 this is how we respond when we see the lamb upon the throne verse 9 describes John seeing a great multitude that no one could count Which is interesting, just after a count's taken place in the verse before. Quite intriguing, isn't it? It counts 144,000. Then there's a multitude we can't count. There's both the old covenant people, Israel, gathered with the new covenant people. And John writes of these, uh, these gathering of God's people. And what's incomprehensible to us is the size of the group. It's unnumbered. But what's clear to us is that they're unified from every tribe from every language from every nation here is life as God intended no more racism no more nationalism no more discrimination on the basis of where you did or didn't come from no more being proud of the location that you come from as if you're standing over those who didn't live in the place or were raised in the area that you were raised none of that Every tribe, tongue, nation, together, worshipping the land upon the throne. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. This is the reversal of Babel. You remember Genesis 11, where we thought we were so great that as one we would rise up against God. And you may remember the catch cry of Genesis 11, how that endeavour to usurp God was described. Let's make a name for ourselves. That's what we said. Let's make a name for ourselves. Six words that describe the human condition ever since the fall of Genesis 3. Now note the name that is made in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits upon the throne. And those in white robes and holding palm branches are are claiming a victory. It's the victory of the cross. It's a victory that unifies heaven and earth. We think of all the blessings that come from the cross, the the blessings of forgiveness and renewal and new life and and the presence of the Holy Spirit and how we are overwhelmed at all the personal blessings God brings Mm. us from the cross. But the blessing that flows into eternity is the unifying blessing of God's people it brings us together it's a victory that unifies heaven and earth according to verse 11 all the heavenly beings join with every tribe, nation and tongue all things have been gathered around him, we think of Colossians 1 and verse 9, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Whatever shape this seemingly incomprehensible future will take, for God's servants, what is clear is we will always remember the sacrifice of the cross. Did you notice that? The one thing you'll never be able to forget into eternity. Of all the things that you're looking forward to not being into eternity, what we'll always remember is the cross of Christ. The lamb will always be on the throne. And so we look forward to that day when the tears will be wiped away, when when the limitations and the frustrations and the fragile nature of this world will be removed, but we'll always be able to see and honour and recognise and give thanks for the cross of Christ. Do you know that? For that act in history reaches into eternity. And it is always that for which we give thanks to God. This is the picture of praise and in verses 10 to 16 we have the picture of protection. Verse 15, there's shelter. Literally, the author says he will spread his tent over them. It's a phrase that's commonly said throughout the scriptures. It's God protecting his people. It's the reminder that Whatever circumstance you find yourself in life, now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's present with you. Then He's present as He is. As Christ first made His dwelling among us, something we will celebrate in the next month, so for eternity we find our dwelling with Him. It's the reversal of the Gospel. As Christ made His dwelling among us, so we find our dwelling with Him. And this picture of the future of eternity is, again, incomprehensible. So what the authors often do as they describe it is to tell you what's not there. It's one of the strategies of the biblical writers that that because it is beyond our comprehension at one level, and if we could comprehend it, we then wouldn't appreciate it, would we? What the writers do is tell you what's not going to be there. Verse 16, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. Few illustrations do this justice, do they not? Because when someone takes away all their dross and the pain and the suffering in your life, and you capture a glimpse of life that God intended, you think, if only this could remain. And so you grasp a sense of what is to come. Verse Verse sixteen. Verse sixteen really is expanded in Revelation twenty two when we read There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here is the stunning thing. The Lord God sustains eternity by his presence. Just because he's there. And that is enough for us to sit back and comprehend what a blessing that would be like. To see Jesus, who he is, as he is, where he is. The Lord God sustains eternity by his presence. And so as we live in this life and look for our sustaining and all the things that this world offers. Wealth, popularity, perfectionism, achievement, status, wealth, riches. As we think of all the things that we believe will sustain us when we reach into eternity, it's the Lord's presence that will give us what we need and make us who we are. And if you find that hard to comprehend, join the club. Mm -hmm. It's the power of the gospel. It's the transforming blessing of the cross. We've captured something of it now. We are a forgiven, redeemed, free people. But the cross keeps saying to us the best is yet to come don't settle for less springs of living water is promised do you remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well what springs of living water did, they welled up inside you so that you might reach into eternity, that you might look beyond what you can see and touch and feel and recognise that God has a future for you that cannot be removed I have seen the Messiah, said that woman. She knew what was being offered. In some ways, protection might be an inadequate word. Maybe secure is the word to use. Because in this world where we keep uttering that six-word phrase, let us make a name for ourselves, where that matters so much to us, what we do is we over-realise our human potential. And when we do that, we underrealize our heavenly hope. We overrealize our human potential, and when we do that, we underrealize our heavenly hope. That is, we know Jesus is on the throne, but we need to keep being dethroned. But this picture here is to renew our confidence. It is to prepare us. A personal trainer at a gym I attended never used to say to me almost irritatingly preparation is your best friend she was talking about food here we're talking about eternity prepare yourself says the author by trusting in his promises Martin Luther once wrote on my calendar are two dates today and that day and Revelation 7 brings them just a little bit closer together so you won't lose sight of what is to come today yes I'm always consumed by that I've become more consumed by that one since I've moved cities if you've ever lived in Adelaide it's a cautious, conservative, steady, measured lifestyle. If you live in Sydney, it's fast-paced. It's high-achieving. It's what's next. It's smelling the roses is for other people. We've got things to do, places to go, people to see. And you know you get swept up in it. And you know that your life is defined generally by what's in your diary for the day and whether you'll be able to achieve that. And what will be stopped from you achieving that? Traffic, queues, these things don't exist in Adelaide. All the obstacles which will stop you from achieving what you want to be because you've defined yourself by whether you will gain more wealth, more money, more power, more influence, more popularity. By whether you'll be more highly regarded. All of these things, the cities speak into our lives, and this city speaks more powerfully than most. And you may remember the author, the Hebrews, says, You are looking for a city that is to come. And I want to say to you this morning don't settle for less. Don't define yourself by what you think you can do. For Revelation says, you are defined by what God has already done. The Lamb is already on the throne. He is already preparing you. He has your future secure. Never be duped by thinking the day measures the wealth of your life today and that day Revelation 7 brings those two days closer together it says this to all who are in Christ it says these three things it says you were there at the garden you wanted your own way and you chose rebellion but then it says you were there at the cross where the lamb chose God's way and you were forgiven and restored and then it says you will be there in the new order around the throne of God and the Lamb this is you this is us this is all these unnumbered gathered around the throne and we at that time on that day when Jesus returns might just be able to comprehend what we read of today But what will be crystal clear for us is that we'll never stop worshipping that lamb on his throne. To God be the glory.